I don't know if you've paid attention, um, but on the banners when you walk in, they've been out there the last couple weeks, I have uh, four adjectives describing our, our study through the book of Jonah, and I put them up here, and actually they kind of described um, each chapter's subject. Chapter 1, we talked about Jonah as a prodigal. Chapter 2, we talked about Jonah as a prayer. Chapter 3, Jonah was a preacher. And then today, by the time we get to chapter 4, we're going to see Jonah as a poucher. And I found that picture, and it made me laugh, because every one of us who is a parent have seen that look before on our children, right? Maybe sometimes too often. And I suspect that God has seen that look on his children uh, probably too often as well. But we're going to talk about that this morning. Now, quite often when I begin a, ser- begin a sermon, I'll start off with a joke. You know, it's never a funny joke, but often I'll start off with a joke. I want to begin with a joke this morning, and I'm going to tell you right up front, and you're not going to like it. I'm going to warn you. How many Church of Christ members does it take to change a light bulb? Here's the reason why you're not going to like it. I'm not going to tell you the answer. I'm not. I'm not going to, I'm not going to finish it. I'm not going to give you the punchline. And some of you are thinking, you can't leave us hanging like that. Sure I can. Well, you've got to tell us the punchline. I'm not going to tell you the punchline. I'm really not. And for some of you, that's going to bother you the rest of the day. I know that. Let me ask you another thing. How many of you have ever, any time in your life, had some kind of musical instrument training? Maybe your parents put you in you know, piano lessons or you're in a band at high school or something. Raise your hand if you ever had any kind of musical training. Okay, quite a few of you. Very good. How many of you would say, what's that, Bert? Okay, not going to tell you. That's fair. That's fair. How many of you would say you quit taking lessons before you reached your full potential in that instrument? Okay, the, the exact same number. Great. I'm preaching to a bunch of quitters. <laughs> By the way, I'm in that same category. I quit before I, although I was told I didn't have any potential. So it, it made it easier for me to quit. Well, but yeah, I get it. You know, talking about music, I thought this morning the singing was great. You know, uh, the, the singing just sounded great this morning. And we like it when the singing sounds great, right? We like four-part harmony. I love four-part harmony. And I'm a guy, I don't know very much about music, but I know when it's right. Don't you know when it's right? You know, with strong bass and then the tenor comes in, you hear the ladies join in, and it just kind of rings almost. And even if you don't know very much about music, you know, that's, that's good. That's, that's harmony. We like harmony. And on the other side, we don't like disharmony. And even those of us, you know, Dave knows a lot about music. Some of you all know a lot about music. Even us that don't know very much, we know when it's not quite right. In fact, we sort of wince, right? Ooh, that wasn't right. Ooh, that, that note, that was flat. Or that, that, you know, that, that's off beat or something. Now, those of you who sit in this section of the auditorium, you'll go, Tim, that's you. <laughs> and I know it. I know it myself. When I just, that's not right. Someone once told me that my singing reminded them of a blind javelin thrower. Both demand your immediate and urgent attention and both cause people to get out of your range. 
don't know if that's true or not, but there's something in us, I do know this, there's something in us that cries out for harmony. We like things that fit. We like things that work. You know, get it right. Get it done. Make it fit. We like that. This morning we are finishing our little series on the book of Jonah. And it's a really popular story for a good reason. It's a fascinating story. It's a great story. But also there's a whole lot of practical applications that we can draw from this little book of Jonah. But as you look through this story, there's a whole lot of harmony in the story of Jonah. But there's also a whole lot of disharmony in the story of Jonah. There's a whole lot of things that you read and you think, that doesn't fit. That doesn't sound right. I don't like that. That, that bothers me a little bit. It almost makes us wince when we read some of the parts of Jonah. You know, most people in the book of Jonah focus on the beginning of the story, Jonah and the big fish. But you'll remember that I told you that this book of Jonah isn't really about a big fish. I told you, don't get hung up on the fish. I also told you it's not really about Jonah. This is a God story. The book of Jonah is a big God story. And what we're going to find today in chapter 4, that the book of Jonah is really a grace story. Jonah is a wonderful story and description of God's grace. And we're going to talk about that today. God shows grace to Jonah in chapter 2, and Jonah loves it. It's sweet. It's harmony. It fits. He's in the, you know, the, the, inside the fish, and God shows him grace, and the fish spits him out, and Jonah loves it. And then God's going to show the city of Nineveh grace in chapter 4, and Jonah will hate it. He is not going to like it. It is going to bother Jonah. In fact, it's going to bother him a lot. And really, all through this book, there's harmony and there's disharmony. There's things that fit, and there's things that don't fit. And we're going to look at some of those this morning. But first, a little bit of a recap. We've been going through sort of a word study in the book of Jonah. We've been picking out some key words in this little book. And you remember one of the words we used was great. We talked about great right off the bat, that, that uh, God told Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh. And then there was the, the great wind and the great storm and the great fish and the fact that God was up to something great. And then we used the word down to describe Jonah. The things kept going down for Jonah. He went down to Joppa. He went down in the hold of the ship, down in the sea, down in the fish. And the things kept going down, down, down for Jonah. Then last week we talked about one of the foundational verbs of our faith is go. That God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, but God tells him a second time, go to Nineveh, and he finally gets his attention. There's another word that's going to show up over and over again in the story of Jonah, and that is the word evil. As we go through this book, the word evil keeps showing up over and over. God tells Jonah, go preach against Nineveh. Why? Well, chapter 1, if you remember, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Another version puts it this way, rise, go unto Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim against it for their evil has come before my face. Something is not right. Something isn't working. Something isn't fitting. There's, there's discord in God's world. In the great city of Nineveh, there, there's sin. There's evil. And it bothers God. It bothers God a lot. 
God hates sin. And God decides that something has to be done about the sin that's prevalent in the city of Nineveh. And so we see, you know, we started this thing saying that God has a great heart for the city of Nineveh. And for, for some of us, that's even a little bit of disharmony. Because we like the idea that God loves the oppressed. But in the book of Jonah, we're going to see that God also loves the oppressors. And for some of us, that might be a little bit hard to wrap our minds around, that God loves the oppressors as well as the oppressed. And God's about to act on that love. He's about to act on that compassion. He told Jonah, the evil of Nineveh has come before my face. So God tells, Nineveh, God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach against it. And we talked at length about the fact that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He gets on a ship going in the opposite direction. On that ship with the pagan sailors that are there, the, the terrible storm comes and the sailors are trying to figure out what the cause of all their calamity is. They cast lots for who might be at fault. Then the lots fall to Jonah. And Jonah admits, it's, it's my fault. In fact, uh, verse 7 of chapter 1, they, the sailors, they said to one, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. There's that term evil again. And this time the evil is not coming from the pagans. This time the source of the evil is not the Ninevites. Where is the source of the evil coming from? Whose fault is it that this evil is upon them? Whose fault is it that the storm is causing, is wreaking havoc on this ship? Well, it's Jonah's fault, right? The evil isn't coming from the pagans. The evil is coming from the man of God. Now, I told you there's all kind of harmony and disharmony in this thing. If you were an Israelite and you were hearing this for the first time, this would be disharmony. You would say, wait, wait, that, that can't be right. Stop right there. You're telling me that the evil is caused not by the pagans, not by the terrible sinners, not by the, the, you know, the people on the ship, but the evil is actually coming from the man of God? That can't be right. That can't fit. That can't work. And they can't stand it. It's bothersome to them. But then, of course, inside the fish, Jonah cries out to God. God hears his prayer. The fish uh, spits Jonah out on dry land. And for the Israelites, that would be better. Okay, I like that better. Good. Now we have harmony again. God has taken care of the disharmony. Now Jonah and God are reconciled and, you know, everything's good. That's how the story should go. Got it. But we know that Jonah still doesn't want to do what God's commanded him to do. He still doesn't really want to go to Nineveh, and he has a good reason for not wanting to go to Nineveh. He doesn't like them. He doesn't like the pagans. He doesn't like the Assyrians. So he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. But Jonah goes and preaches his short little message, Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. We talked about that last week. Short message, vague message, no mention of God, no mention of repentance, no mention of specific sins. He doesn't talk about, you know, justice for those that uh, were victims. Just this little, short, vague message. And you get the sense that Jonah's just kind of phoning it in. He's doing what God told him to do, but it doesn't seem like his heart's really in it. But then, 
the strangest thing happens. The people of Nineveh respond to that short, vague message. And they repent. They repent of their wicked ways. They repent of the evil that they've been doing. They repent of their sins. And they turn to the Lord God, Jehovah. Even though Jonah hasn't exactly brought his A-game, even though it appears that Jonah's just been going through the motions, these Ninevites, their, their lives are genuinely touched. Their hearts are, are genuinely broken. And they repent, and they all repent. I mean, from the king right down to you know the poorest subject. There is this national repentance. The entire city repents and turns to God. You know, in the New Testament, we're really familiar with Acts chapter 2, where 3,000 people respond to Peter's message, repent and are baptized. We talk about that a lot as well we should. Very seldom do we mention the 120,000 people who repent and turn to God in Jonah chapter 4. In your wildest dreams, could you imagine that happening in Tampa? In your wildest dreams, could you imagine the entire city of Tampa repenting? Say, no, I could never imagine that. Or you say, yeah, well, sure, that, I guess that could happen, or I don't know. I don't know if that could happen or not. Because we never think in those terms, do we? When we think big, we think 500 or, or 700. When God thinks big, He thinks entire cities. Now, Jonah couldn't begin to imagine this entire city of Nineveh repenting and turning to God, but they do. And it's so widespread. You know, every single person from the king on down repents. In fact, they put sackcloth, which I told you was a, a sign of repentance, they put sackcloth on the animals, which is the only time in Scripture you read about that taking place. So the people of Nineveh, they're overwhelmed with the awareness of their sin. And by the way, it wasn't because of Jonah. And it wasn't because of his great sermon. It was God. It was, the, it was the power and the Spirit of God convicting people of their sin. And they realized, we have been so far off track. We have been so wrong. We have been so sinful. And they repent. And they turn to God you know, the best way they know how. And God, being God, is filled with compassion. Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, there's that word evil again, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He'd threatened. God shows this entire city grace. God says, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to spare you. I'm not going to bring upon you the, the, the destruction that I had planned. They've turned from their violence and and their aggression. They've turned from their sin. And God is giving them grace. And you think, wouldn't that be a great place for this story to end? Why doesn't the story end right here? Harmony. Everything fits. Everybody's happy. Everything's good. And in the middle of all this harmony, and in the middle of all this rightness, there's one little bit of discord. And believe it or not, the one note of discord is Jonah. 
Jonah is the, is, is the discord. He looks at God and what God's about to do, and you would think that Jonah would be thrilled, right? Wouldn't you think he would be thrilled? This has got to be like the greatest uh, victory in his entire ministry, right? Hey, Jonah, how are things going down there in Nineveh and your revival? Uh, pretty good. Like, is anybody responding to your preaching? Yeah. How many? Uh, 120. Wow, that's great. Thousand. 120,000 people responded to Jonah's message. You would think he would be really happy with that. You would think he'd feel great about what's taking place. But he doesn't. This whole city is brought to God, turns to Jehovah because of Jonah's preaching, and it wasn't even good preaching. Because make no mistake, when God moves, it's not the preaching, and it's not the programs. It's, it's God. It's God's Spirit and God's power. And God is using Jonah like He's never used Jonah before. And notice Jonah's response. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is how Young's literal translation records his response. And it was grievous unto Jonah, a great evil, and he is displeased at it. God is going to spare the city of Nineveh, and Jonah can't take it. He can't stand it. He doesn't like it. This can't happen. Jonah looks at Nineveh being forgiven, being offered grace, and Jonah calls it evil. It is evil what's happening here. In fact, he doesn't call it evil. He calls it a great evil. Which is ironic, those two words being put together. It's the only place in the story that they are. What God sees is something great happening. People repenting and people turning to Him. Jonah sees it as evil. In fact, he sees it as a, as a great evil. See, Jonah was just fine when grace was being offered to him in chapter 2. He was happy to receive grace when he was inside the fish. That was okay. But now, grace is being offered to these Ninevites, and that is not okay. Jonah's upset. He's angry. He says, this is a great evil. You know, at the beginning of this book, if you're an Israelite and you're hearing this book for the first time, reading this story for the first time, for that matter, for us, as we read this book, at the very beginning, chapter 1, it seems pretty obvious to us God has a problem. And as we begin this little book, we think we know what God's problem is. And it certainly seems like God's problem is, what am I going to do about Nineveh? I mean, obviously that's God's problem, right? What am I going to do about this pagan, wicked, sinful city of Nineveh? I mean, it's like Las Vegas on steroids. You know, so much worse. I mean, this is just bad people doing bad things through this whole city. And we think God's big problem is, what am I going to do about the city of Nineveh? But I don't think that was God's big problem. I think God's big problem is, what am I going to do about Jonah? I think that's really the problem that God has. What am I going to do about my prophet, the man of God, with this smug, superior, holier-than-thou kind of attitude? I think that's God's problem in the book of Jonah. What am I going to do about Jonah? 
Now, if you were to think about today, 2017, and if I were to ask you right now in the middle of our, our world, what's God's big problem? I think we could come up with a pretty quick list of what we consider to be God's big problem. What's He going to do about what's going on in the Middle East? You know, there's Eastern religions. That's a problem. God's got a problem there. What's He going to do about it? What's God going to do about our culture? I mean, you know, society is, is off the rails here. What's God going to do about that? That's a problem. What's God going to do about, uh, you know, crooked politicians and liberal media? And, you know, that's a problem. When they're taking prayer out of school and they're putting evolution in school, yeah, God's got problems. What's God going to do about all these problems? And I'm not sure we'd ever say it. But I think sometimes we think it. And God needs to teach them all a lesson. They need to know who they're dealing with when they're dealing with God. When they take the name of God in vain, you know, you might be surprised one day what God shows up and does. You want to live such a, such a lifestyle? You know, you want to do what you want to do? Well, someday, you're going to meet God and, you know, I know what I'd do if I was God. I know what I wish God would do. I wish He'd just teach them all a lesson. See, somebody else does something wrong. Somebody else violates the law. Somebody else sins. And we want justice. But when it's me, I don't want justice. I want grace. And it happens all the time. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. And my first thought is, where's a cop when you need one? I would love to go around this next turn and see this guy on the side of the road, you know, uh, with a policeman behind him, giving him a ticket for, you know, reckless driving. No, he's driving like a fool. He's going to kill someone. He needs to be taught a lesson. But when the blue lights are flashing in my rearview mirror, and that policeman's walking up to, you know, to my window, license and registration, sir, I don't want him to be fair. I don't want him to be just. I want him to be merciful. I want grace when it's me. When it's you, I don't really care. When it's me, I want grace. You know, justice is what we, when we get what we deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace is when we get something that we don't deserve. Believe me, when it comes to God, when it comes to your spiritual walk, you don't want God to be fair and you don't want God to be just. You don't want justice from God. You want grace. We want God to be merciful with us. You know, maybe God's big problem isn't all those other people and all those other issues. Maybe God's big problem is me with my hypocrisy and my attitude and my exclusivity. You know, my the, they had it coming kind of attitude. But in our story, God makes the decision to extend grace to the people of Nineveh. And when He does, that decision brings Jonah to his knees in prayer. God is going to offer grace to Nineveh and it drives Jonah to prayer. But before we commend Jonah too much about his attitude and his prayer, let's be sure and 
pay attention to what he prays. Remember, this is going to be the second time that he prayed. He prayed inside the fish, recorded. And his prayer inside the fish was, you know, this is, looks like the end, I'm going to die, but God, 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 oh God, would you please, would you please save me? Would you please save me, help me, let me live, forgive my disobedience. And God offers Jonah grace. Now God is offering grace to the city of Nineveh, and Jonah is going to pray again. Here's his prayer, chapter 4, verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. What an unbelievable prayer Jonah offers. He is so angry with what God is about to do for the city of Nineveh. No, the first time Jonah prays, God, let me live, let me live. This time, in the middle of God's offer to grace to the city, Jonah says, God, let me die. Let me die. Now, Jonah doesn't really want to die. He's just kind of being a baby. He's just kind of pouting. He says, please, God. By the way, this isn't a polite please. This is a two-syllable please. Please. You have got to be kidding me. You can't be serious about doing what you're about to do and sparing these people. Give me a break. Grace to these Assyrians? Grace to these pagans? And Jonah tells God, this is what I was talking about when I was back home in my own country. Now, if you'll remember, Jonah said nothing like this when he was back home in his own country. He was running from God in fear. Now he conveniently remembers himself as this champion for justice. I saw this coming. I knew you'd do this. That's why I ran. Yeah, right. At this point in the story, Jonah is not thinking about the people of Nineveh. And really at this point in the story, he's not thinking about God either. He's only thinking about one person, and that's himself. Jonah is thinking about himself. You can't do this to me. I'm going to look like a fool. You can't spare these people after I've already told them you're going to wipe them out. What's worse than that, I've got to go home to my own people and the, the, the Jews are going to think that I like the Ninevites, that I like the Assyrians, that I like the pagans. God, I don't like them. In fact, I, I thought you didn't like them either. Anne Lamott said this, You can tell you've made God in your own image when it turns out He hates all the same people you do. And there's all kinds of lessons to be learned in this short little book of Jonah. But I don't want to wrap this thing up without stressing the obvious lesson. And the obvious lesson is people matter to God. You can't miss it. You can't ignore it. People matter to God. Which people? All people. All people matter to God. You know, we look at people sometimes and think to ourselves, mm, I'm glad that's not me. Boy, I'm, I'm glad that's not me. Glad I don't have that guy's life. Uh, I'm glad I don't have that situation. And God looks at that same person 
And God thinks, I wonder if that preacher at the Bay Area Church of Christ has any idea how important that person is to me. And I wonder if that preacher has any idea how much I love that person. People matter to God. The rich, successful people, the jobless people, they matter to God. Depressed people, educated people, uneducated people, divorced people, people with different politics than you, they matter to God. Every age, every race, every nationality, every person matters to God. And it's always been God's desire for people to turn to Him. And He has always offered grace to people who are willing to repent. We talk about what a different God there was in the Old Testament. There wasn't a different God in the Old Testament. Here in the book of Jonah, God is being compassionate to these sinners. He is offering grace. He wants them to repent. In the New Testament, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all men to come to repentance. That's the gift that God extends to Nineveh. Now we have to decide if we're going to accept that gift, just like they did, that gift of grace. But, but that's the gift that He's offering. Let's finish the story. Verse 4. But the Lord replied, talking back to Jonah, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give a shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. Now we always talk about Jonah and the big fish. We never talk about Jonah and the little worm. But they're both animals that God provided. And they both were obedient to God's desires. I guess fish make for a better flannel graph. Uh, verse 8. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, just like He provided the storm. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, He said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And just in case you don't have your Bible open, just in case you're just reading here on the screen, I'll go ahead and add the end. Seriously, that's it. That is the end of the book of Jonah. That's exactly how it concludes. It's an odd little book with a very strange ending. I mentioned a few weeks ago the story of Jonah is not a tragedy. You know, and that hope loses and, and life loses and love loses. That it's very much a comedy in that hope wins, life wins, and that love wins. You know, when sin wins, everybody loses. When love wins, it's good news for everybody. And God gives Jonah this little object lesson of growing and destroying a shade-producing vine. And then he asks Jonah a question. And the question that God asked Jonah is very similar to the same question that God is asking us still. 
God says, Jonah, you're so concerned about this shade vine. You're, you're so concerned about your people. You're so concerned about the Israelites. If it's okay for you to be concerned about some people, isn't it okay for me to be concerned about all people? If it's okay for me to show you grace, isn't it all right for me to show everyone grace? To offer everyone grace? You know, it's a funny thing. When Jonah hit rock bottom, he loved the idea of God's grace. In chapter 4, when the Ninevites are on the verge of being destroyed, he's offended by the idea of grace. Jonah has this superior, judgmental, unloving heart. And it's almost as if it seems like God has a harder time dealing with Jonah than he does the Ninevites. Funny thing. Now you think about when Jesus came to the earth. Who did Jesus have the hardest time dealing with? It wasn't the people that everyone said, these are kind of the big sinners, you know, the prostitutes and tax collectors, people that seemed way on the outside. Jesus didn't have a problem dealing with those people. He never condoned their sin, but he, he certainly dealt with them lovingly. When Jesus was here, it seemed like he had the hardest time dealing with the people who should have been the spiritually mature. He had the hardest time dealing with the Pharisees, those students of the Word, teachers of the law, the educated. Speaking as an educated student of the Word, teacher of the law, that's a pretty sobering thought. And I can't argue against it. No, most of us in this room are spiritually mature. It's a sobering thought. I can't argue against it. A funny thing. So the story of Jonah ends, and it ends very much unfinished. There's a whole lot of disharmony in the ending of this story. You know, kind of like me in the joke. Aren't you feeling like, God, you can't leave us hanging here? I mean, what happens next? What did Jonah do? How did Jonah respond? We don't know. I have no idea what Jonah's response was. I know what I hope it was. I hope Jonah's response would be, God, I am so sorry. I have been so exclusive. And the grace that you offered me, I just wanted to keep it. And God, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me of my narrow-mindedness? Would you forgive me uh, of my, my unloving heart? God, would you use me as a vessel of your grace? I hope that's how Jonah responded, but we'll never know. We'll never find out. Now, who would end a story that way? Doesn't that drive you a little bit crazy? Why would you end such a great story on such an unresolved note? I don't know. I don't know why God did that. But I do know this. The question that was asked of Jonah is still a really good question for us today. And the question that Jonah kind of has to deal with, what am I going to do with this, is the same question that, that we have to answer and we have to wrestle with. Jonah's story really is our story. What am I going to do with God's love? What am I going to do with the grace of God? Who am I going to witness to? Who am I going to share that with? 
Remember back in chapter 3, verse 3, I told you to put a star beside that verse because it said, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. We talked about the fact that our obedience matters. It matters when we obey. I'll let you in on a little bit of good news this morning. God is still offering grace to sinners. God's desire is still for people to turn from their sinful ways to repent of their sins and turn to Him. And the gift that God offers is still available. A relationship with Him. Salvation. A home promised in heaven. We talked about that yesterday with Mr. Leroy's uh, uh, memorial service. What a joy that is. Well, how do I receive that gift? Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Well, how do I obey the word of the Lord? Well, I referenced Acts chapter 2 a minute ago. In Acts chapter 2, a whole bunch of people asked that same question to Peter. He's kind of preaching the sermon, and they stop him and say, we're sinners. We need the grace of God. What do we do? And Peter tells the people to repent, change, repent. And he tells them to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. 3,000 people did that day. Or maybe you've already done that, but you're sitting thinking, you know, I'm a little bit more like Jonah than probably I would like to admit. Now, if I'm really honest with myself, um, my heart, my attitude, you know, I've been fighting God on this. And I've been pushing back about this. And I'm convinced that, uh, you know, I need to stop arguing. I need to realize that God is just as concerned with other people as He is with me. That I need to see other people the same way that God sees other people. That I need to treat other people the way God wants me to treat other people. That I need to love everyone the way God loves everyone. This morning, would you be willing to be a vessel of grace for God? Would you be willing to go, even if it's someplace that you're uncomfortable, even if it's someplace that you don't see a need, would you be willing to be a vessel for God's grace? There's going to be some people here at the front of the auditorium to, to meet with you, to pray with you, to help you in any way that we can. If we can help you in some way, meet us at the front of the auditorium. Let's stand and sing.